0: You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. The Curious About Cannabis podcast is brought to you by the generous support of fans just like you. Find out how you can support the show and get access to exclusive content, merchandise discounts, and more at patreon.com slash Cannabis. If you want to learn even more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book at cacpodcast.com book or check out our Curious About Cannabis online courses and educational events at the Natural Learning Academy at learn.naturaledu.com. This episode has been cut for time. To listen to the full conversation, visit patreon.com slash curiousaboutcannabis.
1: I'm um, Jonathan Mintel. I go by botanichemist on Instagram. Uh, we own and are building Ouroboros Laboratories. We forage local plant material and we steam distill it and use a variety of old school extraction techniques, uh, perfuming techniques like enfleurage where you infuse fat, uh, aromas into fat, and um, as well as making hydrosols and basically uh, aromatics for home and body made out of terpenes. What I've been doing for the past Few years actually has been hash and rosin making. We must work untiringly so that our children are obliged to learn the truth. Because it is only through that,
0: that we can safely protect You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. As you were starting to, you know, let's say you you came back from this class and you're trying to apply everything that you've learned, what were some of the main um, uh, takeaways? I guess uh, you know, as you were kind of figuring these these things out, I guess a better way to ask would be what were some of the road bumps that you hit along the way and and what did you learn from from those obstacles that you hit as you were trying to, you know, make the, the process of rosin production, um, you know, efficient and, and high quality?
1: Right. Um, you know, so definitely the first problem that you pretty much always run into with hash making, rosin making is for everybody. And, you know, I kind of start off my consults like this too is, when you are not 100% in control of that plant through its growth, harvest, either curing, drying or storage process if you're doing like fresh frozen. Um, And you don't like if you're not doing it yourself and you don't have the ability to directly train and have your procedures implemented for the harvest of that plant, it can dramatically decrease yield. Um, because, you know, as hash and rosin makers, we are not worried about the biomass. We are not worried about the weight of the flower. We are worried about that trichome coverage and, um, you know, about the relative size of the heads, um, compared to your bags, um, you know, your filtration bags. And, um, basically those heads are, they're so fragile that. I'm sure everybody that has been into a grow been into a trim room they've seen the broomstick charas hash you know what i'm saying yeah the, yeah yeah the pen charas hash you know you literally pull it off and smoke it off a pen gross but you know you
0: could oh yeah um, or like if you're trimming if you're wearing gloves or any or even your hands i mean right uh, you, the way you can just collect just from yeah just from handling the plants and moving them around is is tremendous
1: Right. And, you know, like working in a uh, like a large facility where, you know, I've seen it at so many large facilities where their, you know, veg is or their flower is, you know, halfway across the building, quarter mile away Mm -hmm. from their extraction lab or their drying room. And, um, you know, when that happens, you can literally see the resin on the floor from where it's being yeah. pushed in the carts, you know, usually it's like hung up on one of those type yeah, of yeah. like clothing rafts with a bag on it so it doesn't get anything on it. But that doesn't stop everything from dropping. And you yeah. know, you can literally see it on the floor, like the ground has to be cleaned up with ethanol or iso, you know, yeah, yeah. and you know, so that was that is like the first thing I always tell people and notice about you really have to train your your growers, your harvesters that they're not just growing. If it if it's, if it's if it's being used for you know ethanol, BHO, hash, distillate, all that stuff, um, you know you have less of a little bit less say basically less a, a specificity. You know, um, mm-hmm. in that when you are growing for hash and rosin, when you have people growing plants for hash and rosin for you they need to be focused on resin production. And not the crop. Right, that's the crop. It's not the weight per light, you know, it's not how many eights you can get out of it. It's quite literally, it's all about the resin. And um, if you are not growing for the resin and you are not gently treating those trichome heads, um, you know, being ginger with them, you're leaving them behind. You're literally leaving money on the table. And so, you know, the first thing I say is train your, train your growers, train your trimmers, um, go in there and do it yourself and show them how you want it done. And, you know, basically, because a lot lot of the people in those positions are really just trying to like shuck and bucket, you know, they're really just trying to get it off, get it in, even like, you know, a lot of the machine trimmers with uh, the, the, where basically just pulls it off the stem. Again, it's just like it's smashing those heads. And, you know, so you could either lose those heads or what I think would be a little bit worse. I mean, they're about the same. <laughs> um, is when those heads get like physically damaged and they're still on the plant, like say it gets the bag gets vacuum sealed. You know, if you're going to make hash, never vacuum seal it. Maybe pull the air out, but leave space between the walls. You know
0: exactly. You can always stop it before it actually yeah. squeezes everything. You yeah. Yeah. seal.
1: You know. Yeah. Um, so when you're doing that process, um, if you compact those heads, or you put them in too hot or humid of an environment after you're harvesting, um, even stacking them just on top of each other, like on a like a, a drying tray or rack mm-hmm. or something like that, um, and those heads get stuck to each other they're getting, they're gathering plant matter. They're usually holding onto their stock. And then those those trichome heads that are, you know, possibly usually, you know, let's say a beautiful 91 micron trichome head. When that melts with another 90 micron head and a little bit of stock matter on it or a plant matter, it's not stuck in your work bag at the top, which is either going in the trash if you're not drying it to make for edibles or it's going into edibles, um, which, you know, is still good, but it's not hash, you know?
0: Right. And it's for people listening that are less familiar with the process that you're talking about. I want to back up a little bit and kind of explain, I mean, I, you know, I've talked to, um, like Marcus Richardson and a couple Mm -hmm. other people that do a lot of like bubble hash stuff. So maybe folks are familiar with it, but can you describe, um, for, Uh, lack of a better term kind of the lay audience um this process that you're looking at um what kinds of microns of, of filtration bags are you talking about and just what is that basic process of of separating these trichomes and and specifically the trichome heads um away from the plant material what does that look like
1: So, right. Um, so like you mentioned, uh, Marcus, uh, BC bubble man, lots of people know him like that. You know, he does hash church on YouTube. I've been following Marcus for years, like over a decade now. And I mean, you know, I mean, he's been, he's been putting out the info, you know, he's had the, the bubble bags he's had, um, you know, like equipment for people to use. And he's taught them how to use that equipment. It's, a, it's phenomenal, like, it's the perfect strategy, you know, it's basically an open source introduction to hash making, and you know, yep. old school cannabis concentrates. So, um, you know, there's, there's a, a bunch of other like big names like uh, Frenchy Cannoli, um, Mila Jensen, Mila Hash Queen, um, Nikati. Uh, there's so many others, you know, like it's hard to remember all of them, but, and bubble man, you know, those are some, those are some real big names. And basically the, it's a modern, uh, adaption to old school hash making. So what used to be done, uh, in the middle East is, you know, the Hindu Kush regions and, um, where these plants are growing prolifically and naturally, you know, where they, where they originate from um, the obviously exporting a a illegal plant matter that is biomass in, you know, large volume for, for its, uh, for its compound content. Um, You know, it was very hard to smuggle and, you know, Basically, it, it, its popularity came about because of its uh, increased effects versus flour and its ability to be moved rather easily. You know, um, yeah. and you see that with a lot of stuff. You see that with a lot of um, drug compounds. You know, a lot of people may say want to argue that weed isn't a drug. It is. You know, caffeine is. You know, right. I mean, yeah. literally, oh, yeah. like, I have some plants it out my yard.
0: Pharmacology.
1: Right. I plant out in my yard right now. I'm looking at They're called Cedar rhombofolia. They're, um, I think it's called Indian jute or Indian hemp. And, uh, it mm-hmm. actually has, um, ephedrine in it. And, yeah. you know, you can literally pick it up, eat a little leaf. It's like a cup of coffee. That's a drug, you know, but, um, and, you know, no such things bad drugs are good drugs, like Hamilton Morris says, you know, um, but basically, you know, as, as it became concentrated, there was different techniques. And um you know a, a big way was to make it's called hand truss, where you can take the actual bud mm-hmm. and rub it between your hands, and then the sticky resin can be peeled off and collected and rolled into a ball. Um, obviously, there's gonna be skin cells in that, too. Um, so, (laughs) you know, not not the, not the most modern, uh, method. Um, but then there is also methods where the, uh, plant matter would be brought into like a shed and like a little mini, you know, workspace. And then they would have silk blankets, silk sheets Mm -hmm. and, watching like videos of people do this. Um, it's very impressive where basically, you know, multiple people will take the sheet and be bouncing it up and down, holding the different sides of it with the plant matter on top. And they'll basically they'll bounce it and they'll take a little scoop and they will literally be able to separate, you know, the trichomes are falling through the silk and they're literally like separating the, the wheat from the chaff, you know, basically. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, from that point that resin could be collected that is dry sifting technically. Um, But when it comes to bubble hash, um, and ice water extraction is another uh, term for it. The idea is that on the cannabis plant, all the active compounds are created in those trichome heads. And like that is, you know, obviously, you know, the chemical factory of the plant. And not to say that there's nothing in rest of the plant but that's where the good stuff is that's our concentration that's what we want and so as hash makers we are really trying to and you know, like you said there's the the full trichome with the stalk and the head and what we really just want is that head so when we are using um ice water bubble hash. The reason it's called bubble hash is because when you mix it in the water, it makes like a bubbly froth from like the protein and stuff in the actual plant. And when you are basically, sorry, the, the way that you get those trichome heads and just isolate those trichome heads, it's not technically extraction. It's considered mechanical isolation, um, mechanical separation. And the idea is that since, you know, people know that cannabis is, uh, fat, oil, alcohol soluble. You know, you can make it into butter. You can infuse it into alcoholic beverages, stuff like that. Um, so, you know, that is nonpolar with water um being a polar solvent and you know people are like oh it's not solventless because it has water water is a universal solvent (laughs) but not in this case it's it's not in this case yeah no it's more of a lubricant it's more of a it's a it's a physical carrier it's as i say yeah it's
0: providing more mechanical action than than chemical
1: correct correct and not to say that um there is no interaction you know um i've definitely seen like the more monoterpene fruity aromatic strains you can smell those terps in the wash, and it smells great, and you dry I would it. Assume,
0: it I would assume any uh, like terpenes with hydroxyl groups maybe uh, potentially be caught in the water uh, more than others, things like that.
1: Exactly. So um, with that being said, um, when you are suspending the plant matter in ice water, And people call it whole plant fresh frozen, which is kind of a misnomer um, because you're not using the fan leaves, you're not using the stem, you're not using the roots, Um, you are using the sugar leaves, you're basically just using anything with appreciable trichome coverage. Um, And, you know, the idea since it won't dissolve in water, and since those trichome heads are actually a like waxy lipid layer, basically a, a waxy cuticle. what people call it. And, you know, basically that head, the oil inside, the resin inside is where the compounds are, you know, that is basically rosin. Um, it will be rosin. And so the idea is that by suspending this plant matter in this ice water, those waxy heads become hard in the water, you know, they just Mm -hmm. like most fats, they get cold, they solidify. And, um, it, makes it stable. So, you know, maintaining a low room temperature as well as proper water temperature, never exposing that bud to warm temps. Um, when you're in between harvest and, uh, extraction or isolation, um, it, it really benefits the overall process. You know, like I said, those heads don't get stuck to each other. And when you, you can either do it with, like by hand washing. Um, or mm-hmm. you can do it with like an automated machine. Um, there's everything from like, basically like apartment building washing machines, you know, made like plastic mm-hmm. ones, there's stuff like bubble magic and, um, other, you know, brands that have been basically repurposed washing machines, but you can buy these washing machines as opposed to spending three, 200, 300 bucks on the thing with the cannabis sticker on it. You can just go on Amazon and buy an automated washer. Well,
0: and I remember back in the day, there were all of these um, sort of uh, manuals for converting uh, like your old washing machine into something like this. And it's been funny seeing the industry mature that now these are just real products now. (laughs) It's not just, you know, taking an old washing machine you happen to have and trying to uh, retrofit it into something you can make cash with. They just make them that way now. Exactly. Uh, That's cool. And you know, they make
1: them uh, to be easy to clean because obviously resin is sticky. Um, and you, if it's not easy to clean, you have to use too many solvent, it just gets expensive. Yeah. Not even necessarily that you're like putting solvents in your list, but you know, it can just get expensive. Um, so basically when you are, when that plant matter is suspended, it's been frozen and it can be either. Mm-hmm there's there's so many different subsets of hash and rosin right so you know there's the dry there's the charis that we were talking about there's the dry sift which is using basically just gravity and filtering based on size Um, and the ice water extraction you can also use either dried cured plant matter um Mm -hmm. or you can use what is called fresh frozen live rosin and again that's kind of a misnomer because once you kill the plant once you chop it down, it's dead. There's right. somebody I follow Rosin Bell on IG. She called it dead Rosin and just being goofy about it. But, I mean, you know, it's slightly more accurate, like just murdered Rosin. Um, right, and
0: yeah. yeah, moments after the <laughs> after Moments the after wall. dead
1: Rosin. And um, <laughs> so, you know, basically, um, you can either take that dried plant matter or that fresh frozen. And there's a couple of different camps, you know, there's some people that think that like, dried ice water hash is poor quality. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some people that you know, and only want to smoke live rosin. And there's some people that I mean, myself included, I love live rosin. But there is definitely something detectable there that's not in the in the dry, you know, it's a little bit more vegetal. Um, you know, you can mm-hmm not necessarily like, you know, picking up on chlorophyll, and, Ooh, that's harsh, you know, xanthophyll, something like that. It's just like, there are, are obviously water-soluble compounds that since the plant hasn't been dried and that, you know, water hasn't yeah. evaporated and, you know, the sugars haven't made their full conversion. Um, there's, there still are some, you know, probably sugars and some other things in that live rosin. Now, the yield is typically significantly higher with live rosin. And you know that's because as the plant dries it compacts yeah. you know and yep. we are trying to get everything inside um so the differences between those two is basically just the harvest you know dry harvest both have to be frozen before they're washed um but then you can take either of those products like i said you freeze it um 12 hours is usually sufficient um but you know if it's sealed to the environment um you know no oxygen or uh humidity exposure it can last you know a couple months in the in the deep freeze you know obviously the fresher the better yeah fresh frozen live rosin if it's two months old it's like kind of freshly frozen dead rosin you know but whatever right. it, can... yeah, it
0: gets into this weird weird area yeah, yeah fresh not so fresh sort of live not really live rosin. right <laughs> you know there's
1: usually people don't um like quantify that, you know, qualify that yeah. like on their packaging or anything. Um, but you know, if it's, if it's a good product, it's a good product. So after you have your plant matter, your starting plant matter, it's at the, the point that you wanted to harvest it based on, you know, the appearance of your trichomes, cloudy, you know, clear versus cloudy versus amber, hash makers like to use a little bit of amber, mostly cloudy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you harvest when they're nearly translucent um you get like this phenomenally colored like very light basically like manila um uh very 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 light color um but again you know like that is not the end all be all of rosin if it's a little bit dark you know sure yeah and And that starts to
0: kind of come down to personal taste i would assume right right
1: absolutely and you know like i mean there's some people that loved aged hashish and that stuff it looks like like black tar heroin or something, you know, like, it, yeah, yeah, like mud, you know, it can, it compared to rosin, it's not as aesthetic, but that's, I mean, I think it is because I've, I smoked like actual hash, like actual Charis yeah. hash way before I even like before rosin was out, you know, Yeah. um, before it's even a thing. And, you know, so it's a preference. It is about preference and you know, like if it's too translucent, it's actually immature and you know like the full cannabinoid conversion hasn't taken place and you know there's even something to be said about that the decarbing process of cannabis while it's on mm-hmm. the plant in storage and you yeah. know just like degradation like there's there's something to be yep. said about yes. you know there's a terpene i don't know too much about it but like hashanine, um yeah. you know, it's like yeah. a terpene found in like h hashish and Um, you know, so preference one hundred percent, um, but they're still best practices. You know, when you are getting it to the more cloudy, slightly less amper, you know, twenty percent or so maybe, um, you are getting that, you know, full strength. You know, for basically the plant's full potential, um. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I really prefer that as opposed to early harvest or too late to harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's balance and all everything. Um, but basically when you are taking this either live or dried matter, um, and you suspend it in this ice water, it, like I said, those trichomes become, become very brittle and very easy to remove off the plant. So, again, it's not a solvent that's actually pulling them off. It, it requires right. a physical agitation. So, you can either use, you know, people have used, like, trash cans, you know, HDPE, mm-hmm. basically, um, just food-grade plastics, um, yeah. obviously a brand-new trash can, you know, um, food-grade <laughs> yeah. extraction mm-hmm. vessel. Um, yeah. And you know, other people have, uh, like, uh, modified uh, peer pressure does like their large bruteless um, hand mixing mm-hmm. thing. Um, and then, like I said, low temp, I'm actually um, starting to work with low temp a little bit more. Um, and um, they have the Osprey, which is, you know, like I said, automated It has all of these settings, basically that you can input and again, taking notes being like, uh, we ran it way too long the last time and we can see that it's yeah. Green, you know. Um, so at, at that point, either using hand agitation or uh, automated agitation, those trichome heads. Um, and you know, this is where like phenol hunting, like strain selection, is very important. You can have the uh, either like much too short. You know, it's a bad example, but you know, let's let's say the trichome head is about as thick as the stalk, and it's a, a sure. very short stalk. Um, it's going to take a lot. Of agitation to like break that off. I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, like I kind of display it like this, you know, like it's going to take a lot more to just easily knock mm-hmm. that off as opposed to a slightly longer one where that head can easily go boop and just fall right off, but not too long of a trichome uh, stalk where any bit of agitation is just going to go and take the whole and get everything.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. I give you the stalk and everything. And then like, in case people aren't aware uh, that are listening, cannabis produces multiple types of trichomes. And there are some cultivars that produce more what are called sessile um, capitate glandular trichomes, which don't have stalks, which um, m- creates a unique challenge, I would imagine, for hash makers versus yes. a more traditional cultivar that is predominantly uh, capitate stalk trichomes.
1: Right, absolutely. And, you know, so. Again, circling back to that, that same first problem is really having the um, control over knowing what that phenol, how it performs, um, yeah. what it looks like under the scope, you know, actually being like up close and intimate with the plants really pays off. Um, you know, like you can literally look at something, I learned this from, from Ken Wall. Um you can do a test wash where you can just take like a mason jar with ice water, put your butt Mm -hmm. in it, let it soak, and then give it a handshake, and you can see the trichomes um at the bottom. And you can, you know, obviously that's a little bit qualitative. You can't like measure that out, filter that out. But you know, you can compare it to like something that washes well. You know, you can do them side by side, be like, Oh, I know the slurricane washes. Um, I'm gonna try this gorilla blue or something, you know. And um so being able to have that control is is very 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 important because you don't want to wash those yeah short short stocks you know Um, and you don't want to wash the long stocks and you don't want to wash something with too dense of trichome coverage because you're not going to be able to get in there as easily or they might be sticking Mm -hmm. to each other or um you know in there's there's basically a a lot of things that and you know growing conditions matter too obviously like one pheno can do very very well in this growing environment with the right size heads and this one like it doesn't notes again take the notes and so basically um you know the 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 difference is that um Depending on that yield, and depending on the strain, um you will be collecting those heads through a variety of micron filters, bubble bags, is what people call them. And the idea is after you have agitated the plant matter and you know, again, it's cold, it stays cold the whole time. Um, typically, there's either like a drain valve at the bottom. People still do like lift the bucket and move it. I don't recommend that just because you can dump it all over the floor and waste yeah, everything. Yeah. And waters, Ten pounds a gallon. So you know, if you're doing a twenty-gallon mixing vessel, that's that's a lot of weight. You can hurt yourself. You know, um, yeah. it's best to automate liquid moving and liquid movement. And but you don't want too many pumps. You don't want to damage those heads. So gravity filtration is typically preferred. Um, so after those heads have been isolated, um, and then there's uh, again, there's a couple of different uh, schools of thought uh, about the method. So you can either put the plant matter into the mixing vessel mixed with water and ice just open or you can put it in uh, they're called work bags basically work bags work cubes uh, they're basically zippered bags that you can fill with plant matter it's 220 microns so it's the, the not that big but you know it's the largest it's the largest actually i have a bag right here um yeah might as well yeah so this is a um ice extract cube and you know it's basically yep. it's, in a, it's in a cube shape it's got the zipper up top and then you know the holes are pretty big you can you can see through it pretty well yeah, um yeah and the idea is that plant matter is put in here and then the uh, plant matter is agitated. So, you know, either like I said, it's all together, mixed up, agitated, yep. or it's put in one of these, which allows the plant matter to stay behind, um, but allows the trichome heads, stalks pass through. Out. Some plant matter falls through, but this is your work bag. This is really just trying to get the heads out for you to be able to then further filter that. I call it hash slurry. Um, yeah. And, um, so basically, at that point, um, either, you know, depending on your volume, um, and depending on your equipment, you know, like, uh, Osprey has really nice big wide valves. And, uh, you know, like a false bottom, and it's very open, you can get in and scoop stuff out as opposed to, you know, being maybe that large of an opening and having to get right. in all the nooks and crannies. Um,
0: and if you need so, to clean it or whatever, right,
1: right, exactly. And you know, i clean I clean all my equipment after every single use, um, good, good, and every single time and um, a basically, when you have that hash slurry, you can then run it through the secondary filtration process, which is then separating those trichome heads and plant matter based on micron size so um. I don't have I don't have like my bucket set up or anything in here. This is this is actually my uh, going to be my new office. Uh, we just moved into this house, so I finally have an yeah. office, like a dedicated workspace. Uh, super excited! Um, it's a good feeling. Yeah. It is, dude. It's so good. And uh, basically, what, that hash slurry then needs to be further filtered. So at this point, after it has come out of that 220 micron bag. Um, everything is going to be smaller than 220 so it's 219 yeah. all yeah. the way down to you know 0.1 microns whatever the smallest bit of matter that you have um and what a lot of people will do is and again depending on the product that you're making if you're just trying to make mm-hmm. like a uh, full melt hash you know to like dab hash um, which you know has to be very clean for it to be dabable, you know full melt implies that the majority large large majority of that hash is larger trichome heads with a minimum of uh, wax material uh, and contaminant that will not leave any char behind on your on your banger or your puffco or whatever um, and basically um, either if you were trying to make that full melt hash or you were trying to make rosin or even like vape pens you know solventless vape pens um, depending on your cultivar depending on what you're going for um you can then take that 219 that one micron to 219 micron Mm -hmm. and then run it through a another set of filters so a lot of people will take the bubble bags which again is basically it's very similar to this um but it has an open top some are full mesh some only have a mesh bottom um some are obviously made much better than others i do like ice extract bags a lot um i like i really like them because the actual entire like eight bags set um each the, bo- the bag at the bottom is the longest so as you stack the bags in a uh, little bit shorter a little bit shorter so it's not yep. all of the filters sitting on you know they're like slightly yep. Yep. separated so it just got allows, some
0: spacing yeah yeah
1: we got some spacing that allows for quicker filtration um so i, I like this a lot um and they've they've stood up to everything they've stood up to you know, 10 times, ten, ten, 10 uh, times a week washing, like not 10 cycles, like, <laughs> ten like... sets of multiple cycles, you know, um, and uh, pretty much chemical resistant. You don't want to be using like ethanol or it's, it's best to use ISO um, on these bags. If you like, and just use it on the mesh, if you want to get it out mm. um, and also never use hot water, only cold water to clean only cold water to make hash. if you use warm water to even try to like push heads through they're just gonna melt they're gonna stick to this bag and Mm, yeah you're gonna gonna have a bad time
0: clogged up yeah just clogged up yeah
1: and you know so basically you will then filter the that hash so most bags uh most bag sets go from 25 is the lowest um, and then there's a couple different bag manufacturers that like change up the microns by very small amounts. So 25, and then it's usually either 43 or 45, mm-hmm. um, two micron difference. Like, I mean, who knows? There could be a, a really good application for that, but you have to have the data, you know?
0: Yeah, you have exactly. To be able to <laughs> n-
1: look at those plants and know the size of the trichome heads. And there's one guy, um, well, his page in particular, Schwale, S-H-W-A-L-E. You should follow him. He's on IG. Um, He works with Farmhouse Studio Genetics. And um, they, like, he's an awesome macro photographer. And um, he's coined the term weak neck trichome um, because they've found some genetics that basically that connection point between the stalk Mm -hmm. and the head seems to be, uh, the theory is that the uh, terpenes, Uh, right at the base of the head are acting as a uh, partial solvent to the actual Mm. like wax layer on the trichome which gives it a um, quite literally like a caved in yeah weak neck Um, and uh, you know so that's awesome for hash makers what one that he's been working on sugar coat that's that's pretty much they noticed it with some other strains, like the lineage of that, but that's like their first like awesome washer. Um, but he takes awesome macro photos and he's actually, um, like comparing, like using like a micron grid and, uh, other I, methods. I was of ask about
0: this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, macro photography up close, stacked images, stuff like that. And he's, they're able to like, they're getting the data on what these average head sizes are. Um, which is super hard to do you know um and um like after it's extracted it's very very hard to do you know stuff changes after that process you know damage absolutely yeah you don't know i was gonna say
0: based on everything that you've been saying it makes total sense why so many hash makers get into macro photography yeah Uh, because you're thinking about so many different things about these trichomes Uh, and of course people probably think about color and stuff but when you're thinking about things like yeah, how is the head sitting on the stalk and how can we think about that? How long is that stalk in relation to the size of the head? all of these little things, uh, some of which I've thought about, but some of which I hadn't really thought about, like the uh, the length of the neck I, I, or the stalk, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, but it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense why so many of you are so, so into macro photography. So many hash makers become macro photographers and it's great because there's so many amazing I especially know. like we we've talked about even offline talked about ig just how amazing it's been for the cannabis community mm-hmm. uh, um but the photos you can see just the detail you can see in these trichomes is incredible
1: it is it really is it's beautiful i know there's anytime i even see a page and uh, there's a lot that look very similar enough like a black background mm-hmm. with, uh, stacked zeroing images and um but even if they look like exactly the same, I'm like, yeah, follow. I love I love right, it. Still, like, yeah. doesn't matter. It's like all that guy's work. Yeah. I like it. Um yeah. But yeah, you know, so um, you know, all those little things really make a difference. So when you are further refining that hash, if you will, um mm-hmm. further separating it by micron size, so it goes 25, 43, or 45. Um, and then it usually goes either like 70 or 73. Um, and then, uh, 90, and then it usually goes 120 and then 160 and then 180 and then 220, um, which is that work bag. So again, you don't, you don't need to use like the zippered work bag. You can mix by hand and then pour it through like a 220, like a large Mm. work bubble bag as opposed to a work cube. Um, and then, you know, you separate that plant matter. Which will then be should be kept cold, and it could be put either into if you have a, a second washer, or even if you just have like a vessel with like ice and water just to keep it cold. You know, if your room, yeah. if you're hashing in a lot of like hash makers that are doing it at scale already are working in like either a walk-in cooler, or you right. can modify you know like your own uh, window unit with that's called well the IG is store cold, but it's called a cool bot. And you know it basically hijacks the uh, the temperature controller within the uh, AC unit, and it basically just you know monitors the temperature and it turns off and on at the right point without short cycling your compressor. Um, yeah, so I think it's only like two hundred bucks. It's really it's an amazing That's piece cool. of equipment. Huh. You can do all sorts of stuff. You can literally make like meat, uh, like hunting trailers. You know what I'm saying? Like you know to yeah. out in the woods yeah, for yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah veggies, you know, root cellars, all that kind of stuff, Um, wine cellars, fermentation, everything. And um, so usually you'll be working in a really cold room anyways, you know, what, what I recommend is like really 40 at the lowest, because once you start getting closer to, you know, freezing temperatures, you are going to be creating some ice in your bucket, which you don't want everything to freeze together and make one mass you know, or you're yeah, just yep. basically pushing the ice cube around in your cup, you know, what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> so you don't <laughs> want to do that a really good
0: point. Yeah, yeah
1: you know, um, so like, you know, really 4045 um, up to like 60 is really about like the warmest you want to go 50s um, like perfect though, like 50s, yeah. you know, a lot of people can stand that with like just a light jacket. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't freeze the the actual wash vessel. Um, and, you know, obviously you can spend more time in there and not getting as cramped up and stuff. Um, but, to, you know, so that that temperature you are keeping it cold, but it's still a good idea to after you have separated the hash slurry from the plant matter out of that 220, put that plant matter back in the water and in the ice keep it cold and then from that point usually the like i said the the bags are stacked on top of each other either in mm-hmm. like one large bucket setup or some people will like cut the tops off of buckets to use it as like a a ring you know like a structural ring mm-hmm. basically just yeah to yeah, yeah. yeah them together to just hold just, everything uh, down right
0: like just you know the top
1: like four inches or so of the bag just to tighten the bag around that around that uh hoop that circle, if you will, and then stack them all together. So basically, um, what people are typically collecting, so that 220, like I said, it's plant matter, that 180 is usually um, either food grade or trash. Um, And, you know, hopefully that 180 bag isn't too full. Um, you know, hopefully you're not seeing a lot of heads that are stuck together, yeah. stuck to plant matter, stuff like that. If so, you have a problem in the harvest and the growing yeah. part and you need to take us a couple steps back. Um at the 160, um, that bag actually, again, depending on the on the on the strain, um some strains have really massive heads, you know. So you could get mm. some good stuff in that 160. More often than not, though, that's gonna be a food grade bag um it's going to have a lot less plant matter it's going to have a pretty decent cannabinoid content usually um i think the analytics that i've done is like still around like 20% cannabinoids yeah um and you know obviously it's not like the 70 60 70% of like pure hash um yeah. but you know cuz obviously there's more plant matter in there so uh there's the 160 um i think people also might use like a 150 so that's kind of um, like
0: keef in a way, like right. kind of what people really just think of as keef.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, hash is very much um, what people consider keef, and you know, keef is typically that's what you get at the bottom of the grinder. That's right. you know, that's the more traditional usage of the word. Right. I mean, I don't really know. I don't. You'll have, actually, to, you'll have a
0: little bit of plant material, right? Trichomes, a little bit of stuff mixed in. It usually has kind of a greenish, light green, yellow kind of color and yeah absolutely. not as but not usually as melts, like it sticks to
1: yeah. fingers you know you can make mm-hmm. a little ball with it um but yeah you know that's that's basically um trimmer trim grade keef grinder grade keef uh uh farmers grade um hash and um which that can be absolutely taken and further refined through a dry sift method which basically as opposed to using bags you push it over a screen which leaves plant matter on top the screen in the middle is uh the holes are small enough to hold the heads on top but the holes are large enough to allow stalks and other bits of small plant matter through Mm -hmm. to the bottom um so you can further refine that and there's people like a cuban grower uh he's uh super big into it he makes like some of the nicest full melt hash um from dry sift. And it's a, it's a painstaking nice. process. You know, there's um like modified environments, you know, like uh like pressurized uh, vessels, static. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. even um what's the uh, I always forget the name of the word. The uh when you're using sound waves, uh oh
0: ultrasound.
1: Yeah, it's called like zymatics or something like that. I forget exactly what it's called. Um
0: it's like, it's like cool. basically doing sonication.
1: Right, exactly. Um, so you can use that as well. Um there's all there's all sorts of like techniques, like little nuances for the dry sifting. Very painstaking, definitely like an artisan product, not a yeah. super scalable thing at at this point, at least, unless you have a lot of like talented people. Um, but you know, so yeah, basically hash is keef Um and um when you Uh, take that so that 160 bag uh, usually has, like I said, food grade, and then the usually the next bag size down is 120. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of awesome heads in here. Um, So all of these bag sizes, you know, if it says um, 120 on it, that means the holes are 120. So items that are 120 will pass through but 121 all the way up into the next bag size. So in 160, so it'd be 160 or, you know, 159, but they will 160 will pass through. So it's 121 to 160. Um, And then the next bag size down is the 90 U bag, um, which a lot of people call the full melt. A lot of people uh, call it like the head stash, you know, and um, you know, we had this, I joined in on your on your post on IG the other day talking about like yeah. full spectrum, and um, you know, it's definitely like slightly misleading depending on how it's being used, um, because you know like a full spectrum. What what I take that to mean is you know f- rosin hash. It's already technically full spectrum when it comes to cannabinoid content. You know. Right. it right. It is that can, it is the trichome where the chemicals are made. It is literally just like taking the factory and, you know, isolating and using it. And that's why people like and me personally, I like hash and rosin so much because it is a really accurate reflection of the right. plant matter. Um, as opposed to, you know, and nothing against pH or like hydrocarbon extracts or anything. There's awesome stuff that can be made. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that solvent recovery process and heat and vacuum, um, mm-hmm. you are degrading and destroying and volatilizing some of those uh, desirable compounds. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like hash and rosin is very, very, very similar to what the effects from the plant would be. And um, when you are taking this, uh, like separating the hash based on micron size, Um, I would really only consider, like if it was labeled for it to be called full spec, um, for it to have basically all of the desirable range of trichome heads in there. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. you
1: know, all the way from, if you have nice looking heads in the 25 bag, it can be all the way from 26 micron to, like I said, all the way to 160 micron. That would be like full, full spec. And a lot of people would consider that a lower grade. and it can be if it's over agitated you know if if you are not being ginger enough doing minimal agitation Mm -hmm. times um you know you can absolutely make that a lower quality product um mixed micron is another term that you know would imply that some of those bags are used but not every single bag um because you know what does happen pretty often it's usually just like in recreational markets um where that 90 U-bag, that 73 Mm -hmm. uh, up to, or 74 up to, you know, 120 micron um, is pulled aside for either like the head stash or it's sold at a premium. Mm -hmm. Um, And nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with like smoking isolated trichome heads based on size. But if you are marketing to consumers – everybody wants the 70 and 90 you you know if unless you're right. dramatically decreasing your prices on that mixed micron which doesn't have the full melt heads in it like really you know given like a, a, an accurate deal like a a fair deal for that um it should be called mixed micron you know um yeah. but if you have people that want it you know like you some people are able to pay the premium and get the the really really good stuff and, and not to say that the 70 and 90 are better than the ones, right. Um, yeah. n- necessarily. Um, but you know, it's, it's just slightly misleading. So, you know, that's something I feel like as the terminology, more people are familiar with it and using the terms regularly. And there's a little bit more confusion that needs mm-hmm. clarification. I think we'll start seeing that. And like, you know, people, hash makers labeling their hash and raws and with the specific microns.
0: Yeah i've I've started to see things go that way. And I was really glad that you commented on that post because that's the type of thing I wouldn't think to point out, you know, that that in the world of of true like hash making, like you know, true solventless hash making, um, there's this other dynamic of of the micron bags and, yeah, what's being collected, what's mixed together, What are people actually exposed to? And so we have this whole discussion about, Full spectrum, broad spectrum, in the context of really more or less solvent-based extracts, you know, because it's really a lot of that discussion is happening more in the hemp space around, um, right? You know, ethanol-based extracts and CO2 extracts and distillates, primarily. Uh, but then when you when you zoom out and you stop focusing on that and you think, well, okay, when you start looking at bubble hash, rosin, all these things that involve mechanical separation, which as a, as a pinned side note, one thing I want to make sure to talk about is some misconceptions around rosin and that there are different ways to make rosin and and what you're describing of filtering out trichome heads before you ever go to rosin. Um, Not everyone does it that way. So I just want to like put a pin in that, that like, there's, there's different ways to go about this. So it can get even more complicated Yeah, Um, because when you start talking about like putting plant matter under a, under a press and stuff, you know, there's different dynamics, um but absolutely. this this idea of a mixed mixed micron, um, that's a really important thing that I, I was really stoked that you you mentioned because I just never would have thought to to uh to point that out. But absolutely it's this other layer of complexity that is really unique to to the the solventless side of, of extraction.
1: Right. And you know, in just because hash making is like hash is the oldest cannabis concentrate, um, you know, I mean it's it's thought it's been suggested by different scholars that you know incense used in temples mm. of the bible are hash you know yeah. um combined with you know maybe opium or other right other know, plants other plant matters yeah exactly you know but it, it without a doubt it was able to uh communicate a spiritual meaning and effect um and you know so it it is the oldest and But at the same time, it's like the one that needs the most refinement as far as bring it into like the public spotlight and, you know, getting people really educated about the differences, like everything we're saying between hand rubbed, dry sifted, static separation, ice water extraction, um, sonication, you know, like all of these methods are different ways to get those heads. Um, and just, uh, you know, honestly, like rosin is a relatively new thing you know um mm-hmm. over you know the past de- decade basically um you know like frenchy cannoli has done the like taking up putting boiling water hot water in like a wine bottle and then like rolling uh yeah. the hash in between like the cellophaneo, and um you know getting it to like cure and age in that like his cannoli way um and basically you know when uh it's it's kind of hit like the limelight you know there's uh, one guy uh nika t um he was like super big and you know like popularizing raws and like online uh uh i always forget soil grown solventless um i want to make sure i'm saying it right he like he's also a, a huge um like, inspiration for the Rosin community. I just want to make sure I'm saying this right. Yeah, totally. Um, and it feels okay. like
0: it was, like... Yeah, so we're going to solve this. I'm trying to remember when uh, we really started to see a lot of Rosin start to come through the door when I was doing a lot of commercial testing, but I want to say it was, like, maybe... Twenty. I mean, really started to see trickle in in 2015, 2016 is where we really started to see it, you know, where companies were starting to focus on that, like beyond experimentation. They're like, no, we're going to have a rosin company, you know, and we started to see some of that. So it, and that was granted, you know, what I see is just my, my lens, but that was in Oregon, you know, through um, the medical and, and adult use programs, you know, that we were tackling there, but yeah, it is does seem uh fairly new, at least in the in the way that that we see it now. Cause I think like twenty fourteen or so uh people were doing the um uh hair curling iron uh yeah. methods you know the like first time
1: I ever tried making rosin yeah you know, I use my girl's hair uh, yeah,
0: yeah destroying those irons yeah <laughs> step on them get get as much pressure as you can yeah literally. it's it's They're a definitely vault, not quite that. a lot
1: yeah, yeah it, it, it really <laughs> truly has it really truly has and you know like uh some of the first rosin that was being pressed um was like being pressed in like coffee filters you know mm, yeah. um and i mean it works uh, obviously they're made out of paper and they have low tensile mm-hmm. strength and you know they they can uh, have a blowout which is you know what you call it when you're pressing and the bag busts open um but you know that was kind of like the one of the first ways of doing it. And, you know, the idea was that obviously when you have hash, like we, like I said, those, those heads, they're a waxy mm-hmm. membrane, but it's filled with oil. And, you know, if you can leave that head behind and just squeeze out the oil, obviously you can't pop each one and like squeeze it yeah. out. Yeah. Um, but the method was developed in that, like if it's filtered and heat pressure is applied, that oil can come out. And um, you know, I'm obviously, you know, I feel like you know, inventions. People have like, as humans, I really kind of do feel like we are tapped into this like creative energy that it's like uh, like a network. Like you know, we're kind of yeah. connected to this network, and you know, like inspiration comes from so many sources. It's not just like one idea that you had that you developed everything. <laughs> right? You yeah. know, some you know, so many other things that came before it, and guaranteed that one out of the seven plus billion people on this planet might have seen the same thing and have some of the same ideas, Um, like Bicycle Day, you know, um, the first Mm -hmm. intentional LSD trip that Dr. Hoffman took um, last year for Bicycle Day. my Florida's coming out, um, right? Yeah, my my fiance. <laughs> if you keep a- talking
0: that way, my Mississippi will come out.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, hell yeah, man! We'll do it. We'll do it. So right. Southern so in hashing, um, but um, basically, um, whenever uh, like last year we uh, made an art piece on Bicycle Day, um, which like my fiance has been painting on. It was like a High Times magazine clipping of Albert Hoffman's face, oh, nice. and she did like pointillism. Art on it. And uh, like we took it up, took a photo of it. You know, she's like, I I think I'm done with this. I think I'm finally done. And it was like we were doing art that night, last bicycle day. And we just started messing with like a video editing app. And I was just like changing the saturation of like the color saturation of the image. And it was very psychedelic. Um, And we're like, oh my God, like we have to put this out for other people to see. It's awesome. Like we were seeing like, animals and mountains and like just the way that like the color is fading from some parts of the photo and other parts mm-hmm. are like, very, very tripping for lack of a better word. And yeah, yeah. last bicycle day maps, um, you know, multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies, like you mentioned, you're gonna be interviewing Rick Doblin, which is awesome. Um, they posted a piece of artwork that somebody did that's basically like the same thing, like a yeah. photo of Albert Hoffman's face changing the color saturation it's like it's so it's it's serendipitous you know it's like i i yeah. highly doubt that anybody saw like our art piece you know yeah and we post right. it like, it's not 2 like 2 someone ripped you off or something no, just... no.
0: yeah
1: we just had the same inspiration you know so i'm sure that all that long story short um it, we really like have the ability to like tap into Creativity that other people are also tapped into, you know, and it's not unusual for multiple people to have the same idea at the same time. Um, so, you know, I really think that a lot of people came together, like, you know, all the people I mentioned earlier, Frenchy, Mila, Nika, Phil Salazar, Solgrin, Solimus, mm-hmm. he was like one of the big guys that like really popularized, like, hey, this is, this is how I kind of do it. Um you know, all those people did so much in their own lives and timelines that people just put stuff together. And, you know, like I'm super fortunate to live in the age of the internet because, you know, you can literally just reach out to these people. And, you know, I never thought in a million years that like bubble man would be following me and French cannoli and, you know, all these other like huge hash names. Um, You know, I've, Last week I won Frenchie Cannoli's hash porn like I was gonna art.
0: mention that if you didn't.
1: Yeah. yeah congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it was my third win um in a row. And they actually made the sculpture category this year because of like my previous two sculptures that I entered and, and won. And you know, so they gave me the shout out. He's like, Hey, you know, we actually made a new category because of your two previous entries. But, like that. That's really awesome it's so humbling and flattering. And like, I literally never thought in a million years, like I'd have this level of interaction with like my idols and role models. And it's, it's so awesome. You know, like the hash community is, it's really tight knit, you know, like, there's, of course, every, every company, every industry is gonna have a little bit of like, proprietary requirements and issues. And you know, but for a large portion of the community, like hash and rosin is very open source, you know, Um, and that's what, you know, that's what I try to do, like with my web, with my Instagram page and like my consulting, you know, is obviously like, I'm not going to tell every single person what to do with their exact like 10 by nine and a half foot room or something. But, you know, the information that I'm putting on there is stuff that I feel like hasn't really been brought up before. Um, and it's just like, kind of like a, just a broad scientific, scientific concept, you know, um, And I mean, I love sharing. And like I said, you know, like all these people that I've been mentioning, they are super about putting their information online, making YouTube videos and blogs and all this stuff where, you know, it's- Just sharing. Just sharing. sharing. And, you know, obviously like if you can get a corner on the market and uh, nobody else can make the same rosin you're making, yeah, you might make some more money in your city. But, you know, as uh, rosin being- not the underdog. It's definitely not the underdog, but basically being like the less known little brother mm-hmm. of live resin, for instance. You know, um, it's really important that we share this information and get the notoriety of rosin up. You know, and um, you know, so that's that's why I share as much as I do. Um, get the community like engaged and get people that aren't in the yeah. community in the community. Um, you know, so um, I forget where we started with with that. Well, last... and I was
0: going to say, like, it just to help people understand why Rosin has come about. Because throughout our discussion, you know, you've <clears throat> sort of been peppering in different things that are starting to tell this narrative of why you would even go into Rosin production in the first place. Talking about trying to overcome the issue of that uh, waxy layer around the trichome head and trying to you know it's like getting really technical with mechanical extraction like how do we withdraw that each oil droplet that is hiding behind you know those waxy bits um it it's 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 really fascinating and a unique kind of snapshot of where our industry is to see and i'm i love that you started out at the beginning of the interview, talking about uh, charis and and you know basic dry sift hash, and basically just showing how these things have evolved, and you know, and then bubble hash came around, and this idea, of, well, let's separate trichome heads and try to refine, you know, that way, and then this idea of like, well, how do we get past that waxy bit that is always going to be in the trichome heads? Well, maybe we can basically pop them and right. then and then collect the oils. That, that come out and, and go from there. And then, you know, how do we do that? The most efficient and clean way. And so it's going to be fascinating to see where it all leads because it feels like solventless is like rosin is one of the last stretches of the solventless marathon. Um, and it's hard to imagine where it can go past, re, you know, really refining um, that bit of rosin. Because I'm like, what else would you not want in, right you know in the extract at that point right uh, so so it's it's really cool to see that that happening and you know uh folks like yourself that are really you know have really dived into it and and um you know are are kind of bringing that up i mean it's one reason why i was excited to talk to you because i think i mentioned when we first connected that it, you know it kind of dawned on me I was like i don't think i've ever done an episode where i've talked just about rosin you that's know awesome. and 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 BC Bubble Man, you know, we talked about Bubble Hash and we could have talked about Rosin, but just with the time, we didn't really have the time to get into that after, you know, spending all the time talking about Bubble Hash and everything. And so it's kind of funny that it's taken me over 50 episodes to get to the point to (laughs) to actually talk about Rosin. Um, There's just so much to talk about, you know. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like it's, yeah, there's a never ending uh, series of things to talk about. And then also doing the podcast, it's like 50 episodes, but it's like, how many people have I not been able to come back? There's all sorts of people I've talked to that scheduling hasn't quite worked out. You know, I'm like there's just so much behind even the people that I've talked to of, of people that I want to talk to that I haven't gotten to right. and, and things I want to talk about that I haven't gotten to. But uh, I just find all of this really really fascinating and i hope that for people listening it helps to um kind of make sense of what the hype is about like why people are excited about it that it's not just i think when people hear about rosin they think oh people are excited about that because it's solventless and it's really much more than that but it's really more about the the final quality of the hash itself Right And, and not just the presence of solvents, but, but, you know, just the chemistry of what's the product that you're left with. Right. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I find, find all of that super fascinating. I've, my experience with extraction is fairly limited. I've, I've had experience of doing like CO2 and ethanol extraction right. scale and, uh, been around a lot of distillation and stuff, but never really played around with, um, rosin production before, um, uh, plenty of friends that have you right. know, and have been around it and seen it, but haven't gotten my hands on it uh, much. But after this conversation, I'm kind of like, uh, I'd like to do some small scale just to like, think about some of these things that you've brought up. Um, Absolutely. Pay more attention to uh, the trichome morphology and think about, you know, what's that uh, uh, going to produce. And I, I guess my next question for you kind of leads into um, what are, well, there's actually several things popping into my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing... You kind of already talked about the difference between the live resin, cured resin bit. That was definitely something I wanted to bring up. Like, why do some people prefer one over the other? And there's there's some companies out there that are very, very passionate about um, arguing over uh, that issue, um, the live right. resin versus uh, the cured resin. Um, but also, um, what... I'm trying to think of the way to to, to phrase where I want to go with this. I guess I'll start with why do some people choose to um, harvest the trichomes and make rosin that way? And why do some people still press flowers?
1: Right. So, um, and, you know, I, I think the one thing that I, I'll just finish up the description of rosin and then and then answer that is basically yeah, yeah. You know, once you've isolated those heads, um, and this kind of answers that question quite a bit. Is that hash is still wet? Once you have separated it, and you know you're either separating it, like I said, based on bag size and keeping those microns separate for either dabbing or for adding, making to a different product, or um, you don't even have to use all eight bags. You can just yeah. pick your selection of what you want. Maybe let's say 43 up to 120, and then collect everything that's 44 all the way up to you know 120, and that can be your full spec raw zone um yeah. but once you have collected it or depending on whether or not you are separating it based on micron or just collecting one single uh mass of hash um homogenized into you know all, all the grades together um it still has to be dried so if you're using water you know dry sift does not use water it's dry right um you're using dried plant matter so oftentimes it can be stuff that is a little bit older, you know, it's not like, oh, we're making this Mm. rosin right now. It's like, oh, hey, we got a couple pounds of this. It's already dried. It's being it's stored properly. It's good weed, you know, like, let's use it, you know, it doesn't take as much storage. It doesn't take as much um, space, obviously, when it's dried um, for either, you know, the curing drying racks and then the space for just storing Mm -hmm. the biomass. Um, And, you know, because the the bud does shrink significantly. Um, And, when you are making this ice water hash you have to dry it so there's there's two methods really um there's air drying which either uh you use like a sieve um you know basically like a flower sift and mm-hmm. you will either allow that wet hash to pass through that and again it's got to be cold otherwise it's going to stick to that that screen But when you are, you can see through it basically, and it will allow those heads to, you know, you dry it on top of a parchment paper and basically, um, most of the water will come out, you know, you're not trying to squish the water out of the bag or anything like that. Again, gentle with the heads and, um. You know basically you can take that dry it out over a larger surface area and then it will air dry you can just agitate it a little bit usually air drying takes depending on your environment um florida takes like almost seven days usually um without like having a dehumidifier in the room and you know like it's uh it takes a little bit longer in florida but you know it can take two to seven days basically depending on your environment and how much hash you have and how well it's spread apart um problem with that is that it takes a lot more time to either sieve it by hand Mm -hmm. um and then obviously seven days of drying is a lot of time um or there's another method where you can actually take the uh that hash that has been collected you can put on top of like another small it's called like a uh, blotting cloth or a blotting Mm -hmm. uh filter it's basically 25 micron you put the hash on top put like a towel or something underneath and the gravity will wick the water out. Um, you can freeze that into like a little puck. And I have a lot of these uh, like yeah. descriptions of stuff that uh, like different concepts arising on my IG, if anybody wants to check that out to, uh, you know, read some more in detail text that they want to refer back to, uh, again, it's botanic chemist uh, on IG. Um, but basically, when um, you can you can either see that with like a microplane, you know, like. Uh, Uh, zester, you know what I'm saying? Um, The problem with this is that while it is good for like increasing the surface area and getting the hash spread out, um, those blades can absolutely damage those trichome heads, which you know, if you pop it open, the resin is drying on the sheet, you are going to lose a little bit of that uh, oil, you know, to evaporation, but still the wax is going to stay behind. so, but that uses a minimal of equipment. You know, you literally just need yeah. some blotting paper, some towels, and then either like a microplane or a sieve. Um, but then you need space. So, depending on how much you're doing, you know, if you're doing a large batch, some people will dry it like in a cardboard pizza box, put a parchment down. People used mm-hmm. to put it directly on cardboard because they're like, "Oh, it's absorbing," you know. But cardboard has a lot of dust, so like, I don't, yeah, I really don't yeah. recommend cardboard or uh, towel, like paper towels. They have so much lint in them, like you know, yep, you're literally yep. don't even use it in the lab. Get like a lint-free, low lint towel if you're going to wipe your tables, that your your work surfaces, your press, anything like that. So basically, um, it has to be dried before it can be pressed. So air drying is very simple. Uh, Or you know, uh, minimal investment to get started, Mm -hmm. and then there is freeze drying, you know, lyophilization, and you know, um, there are you know lab grade like flask um, lyo units, Um, Mm -hmm. there are shelf units, and that's what you want for hash because you really want that surface area. So uh, for people that don't know what freeze drying is, it's if anybody's ever seen a vac oven, it's sort of similar in the way that it's a sealed vessel with a heat source inside with vacuum applied. Mm-hmm. But with lyophilization, the point is to apply such a deep vacuum and actually the, the chamber is frozen. You know, it's actually, it's, it's yep. a, it's a freezer. Basically the tube is wrapped in like condenser coil and that chamber gets down to light negative 20 i think that's like about the one of the some of the lowest it can go i think um and people have made uh, uh I always forget harvest right um they make freeze dryer units for like home use for you know people trying to make you know yeah. i mean you can do anything you can dry anything with it like during the pandemic they sold out everywhere because people were trying to you know prep basically yeah. dry their yeah. food great idea i mean people should be doing that you know like we have way too much food waste so um, yeah, yep. You know, so um basically though the the chamber will reach such a deep vacuum and get to such a low temperature that the um the phase change, the triple point of where water will either ice will melt into water or water can turn into gas at a low enough pressure, high enough temperature. But when you are doing um or high pressure, high temperature. But when you are doing a low pressure low temperature and you get that water down to its it's called the sublimation point where mm-hmm. as soon as you apply the correct amount of heat that ice directly transitions from a solid state to its gas state um and when you are using a uh, vacuum obviously um, it's able to pull that moisture out of yeah. the hash and you know basically the moisture it's it stays inside uh, the freeze dryer unit, it gets frozen to the walls, of the chamber basically. Um, but there is still there, there are terpenes that can be collected from it. And yeah. um, my buddy Pressingtons um, on IG, um, he has been working on uh, developing, like putting like a cold trap cold finger basically in Ah, between the the unit. And they're they're starting to see some pretty impressive uh some pretty impressive things. Actually, I'm gonna make a post about it because he sent me some pretty detailed information. I want to make a post and give him a shout out. Uh, I just I've been moving so I haven't had time to be on the internet really. I know how it is. Man. But you know, so basically as opposed to needing a very large amount of heat or vacuum like you would be using for again like hydrocarbon extracts to get the solvents out. um, is it's really cheating it, treating it pretty, ginger, um, pretty gingerly, pretty gently. And um, that freeze drying process can take, you know, one to two days, depending on mm-hmm. the amount of hash in the machine. The more water, the longer it will take. The higher your ambient temperature of the right, room, right. the longer it's going to take. Um, and Basically, um, they're and they're a little cost prohibitive, you know what I'm saying? So a few thousand dollars, I think they're like four to six, depending on the size. There's like small, medium, large and harvest, right? They've made the home. They've made the uh, scientific, which is, uh, has like ramp up settings. Like you can literally change the length of time it takes to ramp up to your shelf temp, how long it holds oh, it back Yeah, forward. yeah it has a a lot of settings but i mean you really have to understand sublimation and like the physics of that you know so it's definitely um i I don't recommend uh, the scientific to people and again that's a little more expensive but they actually manufactured one called the um the pharmaceutical which it sounds like that would be the top grade Mm -hmm. but um it's not that was actually developed with hash in mind um so it has like (laughs) uh, you can adjust the times and the temps and um, you can get a little bit more um customization with that unit. And but you know, so it's a it's a little cost prohibitive, four to six thousand dollars. Again, if you're making a hundred plus grams of ROS in a day, though, it's paid mm-hmm. back within the yeah. afternoon. Um, so you know, you need dedicated power setup, you need like a dedicated um outlet, you know, I think it's like 45 amps. Um and or maybe 25 35 something like that um but you know like you you do need a dedicated space for it um and but the problem the not the problem the great thing with that compared to air drying is that um it's not damaging those heads when you're sifting or uh sieving or microplaning it it is taking a significant less amount of time to be able to press it into rosin um and and it's consistent and it's consistent exactly and it's consistent you can replicate the same exact dryness same exact level every single time with the proper notes you know um so at that point it can it's dry so that's this is where we make rosin um once that hash is finally dry you never want to press wet hash you never want to press like you can make flour rosin too where you know you squish the bud the oil comes Mm -hmm. out that's definitely lower quality than hash rosin because all the water soluble compounds
0: mm-hmm.
1: chlorophyll all that stuff you know um and but you never ever want to press a live bud only dried bud you know you don't want water in your press basically like you don't want <laughs> any water in your press any yeah. any more than like the very low percentage that would be in the in the cuticle or anything you know um and then basically i actually have my I have my rosin press right here um oh, cool. So basically... Oh, nice, yeah. Here, I'll get a little bit closer. Um, The concept is that... Let me grab my bags, too. You can use... um, They're called rosin bags, which, again, they're nylon micron filters, uh, which are the same material as um, washing bags. And um, the idea is that they are shaped the same size as the plate roughly and yep. um they have a seam on one side on the bottom and on one side and an open end on this side so this is uh, low temp plates um these guys sent this to me uh, basically after i went and took their class uh with kenwall out in oklahoma and nice. uh, we're, we're talking about working more and more together and uh, i'll be able to talk about that publicly very soon um but basically the idea is that once you have that dried hash however you'd like to do it um you would put a filter in it um people use things it really doesn't matter this is actually 3d printed they're 3d printing these at low temp that's cool Uh, right isn't that cool so basically the idea is that you would (laughs) fill this bag all the way with hash and you see this one is you can't see through it it's this is a 15 micron yeah. so typically i like using either 25 or 37 micron for pressing just because it gets a slightly higher yield and if you're doing if you're already pressing really high quality hash um you're not really you don't need the smaller micron to leave behind plant matter stocks like that you know right, so right if you if you're being gentle with it and you're getting a, a good quality hash with it um you really only need like a 37 but again this can be used for even even further things of like you said leaving behind more of that wax um and you know plant matter stuff like that and using it for like making uh mechanically isolated thca stuff like that you know yeah. um so the idea is that when this is filled with hash and these uh you want the corners to be all the way full you know and you, cold room and shake it down like that to get everything nice and flat nice and even because if you have one high spot yeah. Pour it out, you know? Um, so the idea is you'd fill it, and most people, I like to, I usually, like I said, I use the the larger 37. You'll fill it, you give it a slight fold, and then you will take a second bag, and, you know, you can do like a 37 on the inside and a 25 on the outside, or a 15 on the outside, or, uh, you know, lots of experimentation that can be done. And basically, yeah. you would fold that, put the folded end into the bag while keeping the seams opposite of each other so it basically adds some structural integrity to it um at that point um i should have right here and low temp just started making their own bags as well rosin evolution uh i love that guy he's super cool to me um there's i mean so the hash community is super tight, you know, like very, very yeah. tight knit. Yeah. And so but Low Temp just started making some as well. Um they work together pretty extensively, you know, so and everybody needs all this stuff. So, you know, it's not there's so little manufacturers about of this equipment and stuff. It's like there's not really much competition. You know? Right? Yeah. Like, we're all in it together. Like the That's
0: nice that it's still in that collaborative um uh, stage.
1: Absolutely. You know, so basically, this is like 25 micron bag. And these are 220 micron bags. So same size okay. as this. So yeah. Wall, the um the guy I actually like learned my live rosin technique from, um, he does like 100 gram hash presses, he'll put it in like a 25 or a 37 or something. And then he will put one of these welded uh, 220 micron bags basically you know they're not they're not sewed together Mm -hmm. they're basically like Mm -hmm. heat crimped you know um and this adds so much structural integrity to that bag that he can really like overfill those overfill his bags and then just it doesn't bust and it just dumps like it literally pours it's it's beautiful it's beautiful so basically once you have it in your desired bags you would use a piece of parchment paper, these are pre cut parchment. Um, And the idea is that you're using parchment because you know, you don't want to put your hash right inside your press, or you're going to get oil all over your equipment. Um, So basically, you would take a piece of parchment. And so these are like, usually this is pre cut for um, low temp. You can, you know, you can literally buy it on a roll. Um, uh, non-bleached is, you mm-hmm. know, kind of ideal. Um, and it just really depends what you can get. And there's, like I said, there's a lot of people making stuff, um, like low temp made this, got this manufactured for them. Um, there's another black label paper. Um, they make like really high quality thick paper for rosin and you know, bacon, all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. the thicker it is, it, it can be reused as well. Um, but only for the same strain and only if you're not using too high a pressure and you don't see like damage to the paper. So depending on the bag. So what I like to do always is you can do either directional flow or just like regular pressing. And the idea is I like to pretty much always, regardless of if I'm doing directional or not, I fold these edges inwards, um, one, so it fits in between the plates, and two, um, if oil comes out this way, it yeah. will have much harder time down. getting out. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, basically the idea is you can do directional flow, which I kind of have this at the right size. Well, pretend this had hash in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we put it under there, we make sure everything stays folded. We make sure, you know, the bag isn't like cockeyed, you know, or uh, yeah. folded up messed up inside. And then the idea is that, and this this would be like almost directional flow. Not quite, I didn't like fold it super tight around it. But the idea is that by folding the bag right, slightly larger than, uh, folding the parchment slightly larger than the bag inside will allow most of that rosin to force itself front ways, as opposed to staying on the plate. Um, Right, it has nowhere else to go. It has nowhere else to go, exactly. So once you have your hash already, everything's bagged up everything is nice and cool again you don't want it to get too hot uh before you start pressing it which is it's less of a concern once it's in the bag you know once it's in the bag it can get a little bit warm a lot of people do like pre-greasing where they'll like, you hold it or they'll put mm-hmm. it on top of their press or they'll do like a slight uh, press,
0: soften it up yeah yeah yeah
1: and you know if you're doing a lot of hash in the press that, that makes sense to me because it, you are you know weakening those those cuticles so you can more mm-hmm. easily apply less pressure less time um right. but for the most part if if you're if you're really doing it like work like i said working with a good quality hash you really don't need to do like pre-pressing do a pre-warm-up um so the idea is basically that these are two heated plates um like this is my custom logo um low temp like they they print everything or they they custom cut or laser engrave everything nice, and nice. uh these are actually feet that they can mount on the side and you can turn it oh, uh,
0: okay horizontal
1: basically vertical drip um oh, i like doing it like okay. like this just cuz you can set it down and then just start pumping as opposed to like having to hold it while you're pumping and i just prefer yeah. it like this but you know it's there are options um and the idea is that these plates aluminum plates they have heating rods inside there's a temperature controller um, which can actually uh, change the temperature of individual plates um they actually put a magnet on it so it's not uh, this part isn't magnetic but um basically you know it's this actually can also be used as a a dabbing e-rig controller so
0: oh. <laughs> um yeah yeah super cool nice. so it's a universal temperature controller
1: yeah exactly so you know you will you will have your uh temperature put in um you can you can go as literally as low as like 100 degrees fahrenheit um okay the max you really ever 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 want to do is like 200 but i don't okay, I wouldn't that was, recommend that was that the enough.
0: question i was gonna ask yeah yeah
1: that's about the highest you want to go um and typically though you know a lot of people will do first press and second press and they'll do their first press lower temp less amount of time less amount of pressure and um you know they will collect that um sell that as their first press and then you can take the bag and then repress it so the idea is that once these plates are heated up um like 160 to 180 is like getting you it's it's one of the most uh, efficient ranges um, for hash pressing because it allows you to get most of the yield out without using too much heat and degrading those terps and you know yeah. or causing it to like butter up and nucleate on the plate. Um, so when you're using the the right temperature so like the lower the temperature typically typically like the chalkier it will come out, you know, like the, the higher amount okay. of like cannabinoids and um you are you're leaving behind a lot of you are leaving behind a decent amount of stuff. Um but basically you are not like melting everything together. So you can get like really low temps and again it, it is strain dependent. So you know like there is some stuff where, you know, I've seen pressed at like hundred degrees Fahrenheit and it's this like translucent yellow mm-hmm. light like clear rosin um and then i've also seen like lower temps where it's pressed and you get like almost like a, a buttery thca nucleation type yeah. product um if you're using like right about 160 180 you're typically getting a more homogenized oil that's coming out um, it's usually looking like the same color um same viscosity and you know the idea is once you have this heated up you get these plates. I don't have my uh, pump hooked up right now. Um, this is like a little pressure, uh, a little pressure system. It's a bottle jack, and these things can be bought with either. You can buy just the plates and put it into your own pressure source. You can buy um, just the plates in the cage, and yeah, uh, basically you can buy just the plates and install in your own cage unit, like either a um, a. Um, sorry, I almost tried to kick me out of the room. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, like a Harbor freight bearing press or something like that. You can, you can use, oh, something gotcha. like that. Okay. or, uh, you can get a larger cage kit, which comes with like a bottle jack that you can use to jack up your car, stuff like that. So the idea is that once these plates are hot and you have this hash in between here, you apply the pressure to it slowly, very, very slowly. Cause again, you don't want to apply too much pressure. Something blows out, especially if right. one side is, higher than the other you know thicker than the other so going and that's another reason people do the pre presses you know if they don't have it fully nice and even you can mm, go very low and slow yeah. and kind of spread out, even it all out yeah. exactly exactly so um and you know like you want it to be you want the bag to be in between the edges of the plate you don't want it to be sticking over the side hanging out over the back that's how you get a blowout as well um and basically like I said, um, 160 to 180, two minutes max really is yeah. what Okay. What I would recommend for those temperatures. Um, the lower the temperature, the longer you can go. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, again, the longer it's on the plate exposed to heat, yeah. it's going to be evaporating those terpenes and it's going to be converting those cannabinoids. You know, even if it's to the slightest yeah. degree, it's still happening. Um, and, you know, so basically you want to maximize yield while minimizing time on the hot plates. So minute, minute 30, um, you know, what I like to recommend to people is again, taking notes, experiment, you know, start at a lower range and calculating your yields. And these bags, when you're filling these bags, a lot of people might be tempted to just like have a big bowl of hash in front of them, fill them up, set it, it looks full. Fill it up, set it over. But then, you know, they're just they're weighing the rosin at the end, but they're not like tearing the bag, seeing they how don't Really know what the yield is. Right. Yeah. You. You know. And a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. Um. So you yeah. know, just one really huge tip that I recommend is like always fill these bags with the same amount of hash. You know, if yeah. you have let's say forty-five grams of hash, and I like to use a little bit of less hash too. Like I don't, I don't fill these up to a hundred grams and go for like those huge presses. Mm-hmm. Um, I like doing smaller amounts for low amounts of time. So, you know, I would fill this with something like 15 grams roughly of hash. And let's say I had 45 grams, right? And I I would do three bags of 15. Let's say I only had, or let's say I had uh, like, I don't know, 80 or something, you know, you could either do four bags of 20, or mm-hmm. you could do, same, yeah. you know, like you you want to keep them the same amount. You don't want to be like, oh, 15, 15, 15, 20, because yeah. minimizing that variable, um, you know, you 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 might even think that like, oh, putting more hash in it is going to get me a bigger yield. But if more hash is in there and it takes longer for it to come out of the plates, it might be yeah, volatilizing it and, you know, decreasing your quality of your overall yield so um by uh by taking this basically and um only leaving it on the plate for that certain amount of time um you can or i'm sorry by by putting the certain amount of hash in these bags each time you're minimizing your variables and able to see like okay 15 is getting 15 grams in these bags is getting me an 80 percent yield That's awesome. Okay. I put 25 grams in there. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm only getting a 75% yield and, um, basically. So yeah, that's, that's the idea behind the, the rosin pressing, but basically, um, there is, and I've had a conversation, I don't want to say argument, but you know, debate, um,
0: with people about, yeah,
1: healthy argument about, um, the, um, the term like diminishing returns. And, you know, the idea is that just because you are getting, you know, let's say you do seven washes instead of five washes or five washes instead of three washes. And instead of running a cycle at, you know, basically a lot of people like to do like the first first wash either by hand or machine, like three minutes, Mm -hmm. five minutes or so small amount of agitation. They take that. That's called like first pull first wash. Um, yeah. And you know, that typically does have more trichome heads than contaminants just because it was so easy to break them off. So little time going into right. it. That stuff is really nice usually. So after each wash and you know, you could, you can make washes longer and do less of them or you can do shorter ones and separate it, especially if you're separating your, your hash by micron. Yes. Um, and basically, though, that diminishing return um, is 100% a thing because just because you think that, you know, you took 20 minutes on each wash, you wash for an hour or something, three three cycles, your yield, let's say, is 100 grams compared to, Let's say seventy five grams of washing it for like two hours, you know, and each wash yeah. each additional wash gets a little bit less and less hash, and you basically there's no like one size fits all like do five washes for five minutes each, sure um, yeah. it's very much a visual process. It's very much being able to be like, okay, this is um obviously a lot of stock and plant matter in this. I'm gonna stop, you know, um, yeah, yeah, and so the idea is that by um overwashing it, you can actually get way too much plant matter and contaminants stock. I mean, you can smoke it. So it's not like dirt contaminant, but it's non-desirable. Right. right. Um, And, you know, basically, even though you might only get 75 grams of hash versus the 100 that you thought Mm -hmm. you were getting, you can end up pressing that same homogenized collected hash and get a 90% yield on your 75 grams, but only get a 70% yield on your 100 grams, you know? Yeah. So, and of course, and so that's not like exact math, you know, that's just an example of, right. you can decrease your yield of hash while increasing your rosin yield. And you can then versus yeah, through, okay. you can increase your hash yield, but decrease your rosin yield. Um, so that is, that's super important. Um, and what I really recommend to people is buying a lab scope, like m- microscope, yep. slides, even just like a a loop if you can. And as you're going through your washes, physically check those. It kind of, yeah. usually you have to wait until it's dry. Um, but you can still see, like I said, like you can get to the where you think your final washes, look at it very closely and be like, whoa, this is still like 70% heads. I'm going to keep going. Yeah, you know? keep going, yeah. You know, so... Um, and you could define
0: all of that like in a in a scaled you know really professional environment those are all quality standards that you can totally define and train people on um to to keep things efficient and so that you're not you know playing you know guessing games because you know like you were saying it's not some of this stuff can't just be dialed in that we're going to we're going to do things at the same number of washes and the same type of pressing parameters and everything. Um, it really, it really does vary. Um, uh, not just cultivar to cultivar, but even plant to plant, yeah, <laughs> depending yeah. on, you know, the grow 100%. environment and stuff. And so, you know, being trained, not just to, you know, what are the parameters we need to use, but what are the qualities that we are actually looking at and making decisions on, Um, Is so critical. And going back to kind of some of your comments at the early part of, you know, that some companies just have consultants come in that say, okay, here's your, your method, you're going to run these parameters and you'll be making Rosin go. Um, And, and that's, that's an example of one of the things that's often missed is how do you respond to the inter-batch variability Uh, that you're inevitably going to see and if you're not trained to understand quality and to understand all of these little nuances of what you're looking at with these trichomes and how to assess the quality of your pulls um, you're going to be leaving you know going back to you're going to be leaving money on the table potentially or or you're spending money that you don't need to be spending in the in the case of resources time and energy and, and other things um So uh, that's, it's, I'm glad that you've, you've brought all this up because it's important things that I think often get, uh, especially folks that are kind of thinking about adopting Rosin as a product, you know, into their kind of assortment of, of listings. Um, These kinds of things may not be appreciated so much, um, at least not, not uh, initially until they run into these issues themselves and recognize why you can't, one size fits all just doesn't work. Right, exactly. And,
1: uh, you know, like, uh, there are best practices, 100%. There are, um, you know, like, in in my consultation, I make custom SOPs for people too. So, you know, what I usually do is, we'll start off with an introduction call. And, you know, I will uh, basically get their background on what they understand at this point, what kind of equipment they have, what they're going for. Um, And then, you know, based on what they're really aiming for, I have enough experience with it that I I can recommend those best practices for the scale of the lab, but like exactly like you said, it to to get really, really good, you know, I mean, not saying that uh, people that don't have like a very, very deep scientific understanding can't make good rosin or hash, um, but to be able to like innovate and like really mm-hmm. find these like niches of like, oh, wow, you know, I figured out how to increase the yield by this much just by like changing the bag size. Like you really do have to like have that deep understanding at least like, um, yeah. being trained, what to look for, you know, like yeah. being trained in quality, being working in a lab. And, you know, I mentioned it earlier, um, beer brewing was like my professional, my first science job, like you said earlier. Yeah. Um, and you know, that I would hire a beer brewer or a sellerman in a heartbeat like, I'm not hiring right now. But um, like, you know, for anybody out there that is looking to hire people, or if you are a beer brewer, like you, that skill set, the, the skill set that beer brewers already have with the understand the difference between cleanliness and sanitation, and understanding yep. how to move uh, large volumes of liquid, cleanly, safely, um, yep. and efficiently Like, I mean, I literally, I would hire, I'd hire a beer brewer or like somebody that works like in a production kitchen, like in a heartbeat. Um, They just already have, they already have the mindset. They already have the quality. Don't touch the floor, you know, like uh, don't touch anything (laughs) unless you have new clean gloves on. And then if you touch something dirty, change your gloves. Um,
0: Yes, yes. That's one of the hardest things is to get people to actually change their gloves. (laughs) Dude, it's crazy, man. Like I've seen people
1: like pick something up off the ground. They had gloves on. They use a paper towel, pick something off the ground, wipe it off the ground. I'm like, you got to change your gloves now. And they're like, but I just use a paper towel. doesn't matter. It's going to get through it. (laughs) <laughs> just, yeah just we talk about it.
0: talk about filters <laughs> paper yeah. towels yeah pretty, pretty big gaps
1: yeah it's not like uh, it's an n95 paper towel or something you know like <laughs> um you know so yeah you know there's definitely like there's best practices and stuff that like mistakes that you can easily make that if you already know how to not make them you're already like leaps and bounds ahead of
0: this episode has been cut for time to listen to the full conversation, visit Patreon.com curiousaboutcannabis Curious About If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers.